I'm Agnes Kurtzels. I'm Whitney Winter. And my name is Claire Horning. You're listening to the Acknowledge Podcast. Welcome back to this week's podcast. Today, it's only going to be Whitney and I. Claire wasn't feeling very well, so we told her to stay in our dorm room and to feel better. So it's going to be a bit shorter, but we're going to be talking about FFA week. So this week is National FFA Week, so February 19th through the 26th, 2022. So we just wanted to start off explaining why people celebrate National FFA Week and just a little bit about FFA as an organization overall. So each year, as we know, FFA chapters across 50 states, also Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, take this time to celebrate the story of what FFA is and how FFA prepared future leaders in their prospective agriculture education fields. So according to the National FFA organization, FFA has more than 700,000 student members as part of the 8,600 local FFA chapters in all of our 50 states in Puerto Rico. And the organization is supported by over 8 million alumni members, which we are both proudly two alumni members. I am an alumni member of the Sutton FFA chapter. And I have not paid my alumni dues, but I... I guess, alumni of the LCC chapter or the Laurel Concord Corridge uh, FFA chapter, but I really enjoyed my experience there. I just haven't kept up with paying my dues, but yeah. So just some history about National FFA Week. It was started in 1947, the week of George Washington's birthday, and it runs from the Saturday to Saturday week. And the week of George Washington's birthday was selected to celebrate the impact he had on agriculture, which I know we've talked about some of that in the past podcasts and seasons, and also some other historical figures that made a huge impact on starting FFA and then also just the agriculture industry as a whole. So FFA Week gives members and supporters and alumni the opportunity to educate the public about agriculture and show, you know, their support for their local chapters. We've talked about what we did uh, during FFA week as high school and middle school students, so we won't really talk about that too much this podcast. But the chapters do a variety of activities to help others learn about FFA and agriculture in general. And we were talking to Sean before we started recording, and he's like, oh, it's the drive your tractor to school that you talked about last year. And we were like, yeah, that's that would be National FFA week. I I know Sutton usually does that on like Friday because it's a shorter day and it's just easier logistically. We usually did it on the Friday as well just because it's it is quite a drive especially on a tractor for a lot of the students because Laurel Concord Corridge covers four towns I believe and that's not counting the students that come from other counties as well but especially for students that lived out in the country that wanted to drive their tractor to school it was a bit of a drive but and it was easier because you know at the beginning of the week you kind of get a better idea of what the weather will look like so if it were to be snowy or something it was easier to cancel Mm -hmm. so I know our alumni takes this week as an opportunity for like community service and fundraising and recruitment for the chapter but also just helping the Sutton chapter share their story with others um, and how they've made a positive impact on members like myself. I know I use a lot of like qualities and other aspects of my life that I've acquired through FFA and my time serving the national organization 
and using that from my high school and middle, middle school years and what I'm doing now in college, getting ready to graduate. But just a really short rundown of what this year's National FFA Week is. So today is Monday, February 21st when we're recording. So this is the day that people can display their old FFA jackets. Agnes and I both wore ours into the studio today to just show off our pride as alumni members. Um, and also just, you know, seeing if they still fit. <laughs> I know my arms are a little short and I think I've grown just a tad bit taller. So it's a little short on my, uh, the length. Mine still fits pretty well. Like the sleeves are a little bit short, but yeah, I mean, like mine was special ordered. So we had specifically ordered it big because it's corduroy. Mm-hmm. Like I obviously, I got it my freshman year of high school. So we were expecting me to continue growing and I did grow pretty well into it, but. I know mine was a special order one. I had gotten it through a scholarship did you program. Get it, did you get it through the blue jacket program? Yeah, but it was nice. also through our chapter. It was sponsored. So whatever the blue jacket didn't cover, the rest of our alumni chapter did. Cool. I I know some people were like able to get the blue jacket. I think that's what it's called anyway, the mm-hmm. blue jacket program. And I didn't, but I'm not, I don't remember if the alumni covered some of the cost or not. I kind of think they did because there wasn't like very many of us getting our jackets. Mm-hmm. Our, our chapter was very nice and had probably like 15 jackets or so that were all different sizes that alumni members had donated and we had previous chapters and stuff that had donated for people that maybe didn't want to buy a jacket because they didn't know if they were going to be in FFA for, you know, all four years. And then also for people that maybe couldn't afford it right then. So we always had the jackets ready for people. And so the national organization has a kind of like an, what would you call it? A program where it's the gift of blue. So uh, according to their website, a total jackets gifted since 2014 is estimated to be 12,002 and that's updated um, back in June of 2021. So Tuesday the 22nd is the day to celebrate alumni. So alumni day and also it can be used to like recruit new members either to your chapter or if they had graduated throughout the program, um, recruit them to maybe sign up to be an alumni. Also they have a Forever Blue network which is just a network a network for alumni and supporters to be engaged and them also support their local chapters and the national organization as a whole. And then Wednesday is just showing a token of appreciation to your local FFA advisor or advisors if you're lucky enough to have more than one. And then Wednesday is also the day to volunteer to help your chapter with an activity of some sorts. I think we did a like an assembly kind of thing and got the whole high school and middle school involved uh, during our lunch break kind of. And I think one year we even brought in a baby lamb and we had uh, a like poll throughout the week and whoever won with like the most votes had to kiss it and I think that was oh yes it was our principal and she kissed the lamb and then on Thursday is the give FFA day which just encourages others to give to FFA either just their time or support or a donation and this is also the day to distribute treats I think we did donuts a lot for our local businesses who supported us. So that was our 
treat. And then Friday is take a group picture kind of day where chapter members would be wearing either their local chapter gear. So something simple like your shirts that you might have designed for that year with your slogan or whatever, or as our official uniform. We did that a lot. And then that was just the time that every single member was there, which was kind of rare because we had a lot of different people in our chapter that had other prior commitments. So a lot of sporting people people and speech. But then on Saturday is a day just to organize a community cleanup and host social events for your chapter members. So that's just a rundown of the 2022 National FFA Week plan and which can just be modified however you want, however it fits your local chapter. But that's the plan that the National FFA organization gave out to chapters to kind of follow if they so wish to. Yeah, I know our chapter, we, you know, I've talked about it before, but we would have like a, a breakfast for the teachers. Or one year we had served like brats and hot dogs for the community. Most of our community service we did like during the summer because a lot more people were free. You know, we could reach more people that way. But otherwise we would have like all the dress up days, like drive your tractor to school day, dress like a farmer day, or official dress day and stuff like that. Or blue and gold day kind of like so that everyone in the school could participate not just the members yep you know encourage other people to maybe join ffa i know what we did a like emblem scavenger hunt yeah we so did we that printed a bunch off and laminated them and then we would put them around the high school and elementary and then whoever found one would bring it back to the advisor for either like a piece of candy or even some surplus stuff that we have from the chapter so like i know we did shirts a couple years yeah we like depending on the number because we would like number them and then depending on the number you could get like a t-shirt or most often it was like candy or something small like that okay so I know we talked about it before, but were there any events that like you did in FFA that like really like affected what you did in college or not affected, but helped you in college? I would say they haven't have helped or not helped. It hasn't like really affected what I've done in college, but I know livestock judging has helped uh, through my agriculture communications degree here at Wayne. But since I'm also a journalism major, the public speaking kind of aspect of FFA has really helped honed in like my um, journalism skills with like interviewing and also with livestock judging you have to give reasons at a certain age and division so doing that kind of simulates what I would do if I was getting a list of questions for an interview say post basketball game with like the coach so having something on the fly and creating something so like the reasons in the livestock judging or an interview with a coach very much helped with my degree here at Wayne. How about you? I think a lot with the public speaking help. I did a speech one year. I did parliamentary procedure and I did vet science. So that really helped with my animal science degree and livestock judging. And then like you said, like the reasons on livestock judging really had helped me 
with my interviewing skills because you wouldn't really think about it, especially like at the time, like mm-hmm. thinking of that as an interview. Yeah. But it kind of was. I mean, you had to go in there and they expected you to give a reason for why you placed um, the animals the way you did. And, you know, have having that background, I guess, of being able to stand in front of someone and being like, here's why I think I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> kind of attitude, um, which you need in some cases. Then parliamentary procedure. I mean, that was really useful, too, because I can go in a meeting room and I can, I can, I don't know, be more professional, especially when you see some meetings and you're like, you're not getting anything done because there's no... There's no procedure to it. Yeah, there's yeah. no procedure. So they're just talking about the same things or they're they're not getting anywhere in a conversation because they haven't had experience with the parliamentary procedure. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that. I've attended a few student senate meetings and they have a strict um, time limit. So at the beginning of one session, I know they started the discussion was 30 minutes for each point they were going to talk about. So say they brought up a constitution change. They had 30 minutes to discuss that. And once that time ran out, they would go on to the next issue on their to-do list. And so that kept kind of like a schedule. And so they weren't droning on and arguing with each other over this one thing where they have 10 more things to do just that meeting. Yeah. But then there also, I've seen some things that aren't parliamentary procedure, which I found interesting seeing that almost everyone who's on student senate wants to have some type of career in, you know, whether it be a politician or going to school for a law degree or something like that. I think livestock judging also had helped me with ag communications because, yeah, I grew up on a farm, but I don't, we only raise goat. And so with livestock judging, I was exposed to cattle and sheep and swine. And although I had already like had some type of experience with them, livestock judging really helped me, I don't know, see what they should be, mm-hmm. I guess, yep. or what the top of the class would be, quote unquote, right? And, you know, that's going to help me in the future if I go into like a very like ag based business like I want to. It'll help me relate to the producers even more, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll be able to relate to them better uh, than if I had no experience in the agriculture world. And kind of a little off topic, but I wanted to bring this up. Having a background in agriculture may not be what some people think of FFA. They might think of people wanting to get into FFA. FFA for like the drone program yeah. or it's not not everything about FFA is corn and public speaking and livestock. Right. There is other aspects to the national organization and I don't think they get enough credit because they aren't pushed as much as like you know those top three things. Well you wouldn't even like think of them. There's marketing competitions and if you want to be a loan officer at a bank that would be great to take honestly because mm-hmm. you especially if you work in a smaller town even you know a little bit bigger than Norfolk or so or whatever you're going to be working with people that are in the ag field looking for ag loans and stuff like that and having a background and knowledge and starting that in high school or even some people have middle schools in FFA will really help you in the long run, especially if you were to go into that field. Understanding like the day-to-day process that happens on the farm and what kind of expenses, you know, a farmer is going to have and would this loan fit into this you know, this farm and having that understanding and information back in high school or even middle school is going to help you in the long run, like you said. 
like with me at Northeast, you know, I took economic classes and I whatever else classes I had to take, but like I haven't used them since and I hadn't used them previous. So most of the information I don't really remember unless I were to go back through my notes and stuff. But if you're doing that every year through high school until, you know, you go to college, that's going to stay with you a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be able to pass, you know, that 101 economics class with ease because you've been doing stuff in that field for the last say six years if you start in middle school right i think there's even like some advertising right i think so yeah there's there's about anything you can think of yeah ffa has a competition or interest in that field well between ldes and then cdes Mm -hmm. there's so many different options Yep, which are leadership development events and then career development events. I know they used to be LSEs and um, CDs, but they changed that a few years Mm -hmm. back. I have some trivia for you, Agnes. Oh, okay. Okay, since we were talking about economics, so the question is, today, membership dues for the National FFA are $7. What were the membership dues back in 1928? 1928? Yep, 1928. I don't know, probably like a dollar? Nope, less than a dollar. Less than a dollar? Less than a dollar. I'll give you one more try to guess. Um, a quarter. Close. Ten cents per year. Oh, I was going to say ten cents and then I changed it. (laughs) Oh, I should have said ten cents. But ten cents per year were the national FFA dues in 1928. How... How astonishing! I mean, is that kind of that? I guess that kind of makes sense because twenty eight was was in the Great Depression, wasn't it? It was. So that would make sense because they want everyone to join, and not mm-hmm. everyone had a dollar. A dollar was a lot back then, too. Though. Yeah, it was. But sh- just thinking, seven dollars today and ten cents, you know, almost a hundred years ago now. Yeah. Well. And then since it's February and it's Black History Month, uh-huh. do you know what year African-Americans were accepted as FFA members? Ooh. I'll give you a hint. It was before females. Okay, it was before females. Yep, it okay. was before females. The 50s? No, it, was, it wasn't that far. It was 1965. Wow. So four years before females were able to... Join the national organization, African-Americans were accepted. Wow. Yeah. Because females were accepted in 1969. Yeah. I knew that mm-hmm. one. So I was like trying to figure out if it was before or after and then you helped yep. me. But yep. Okay. One last trivia question. This is more of like a pop culture one. This is a multiple choice. Which of the following celebrities were FFA members? A, Walt Disney. B, Eric Church. C, Taylor Swift. Or D, Wayne Brady. Nope, it was not Eric Church. It was actually Taylor Swift. Really? Yeah. I would have chose Disney over her. Really? Yeah. Why do you think that? I don't know. Just a hunch? I I mean, I guess I don't really know. She was from Pennsylvania, wasn't she? She grew up in Pennsylvania or Tennessee? Yeah, she grew up in Pennsylvania. Huh. Taylor Swift was a member. I would have never guessed that. I think Allie Boyd would be very happy to know that. (laughs) For our listeners who don't know, um, Allie Boyd is our, one of our co-directors with the radio station and she loves everything Taylor Swift. She also hosts Film uh, Goddess. Film Goddess, which is also another podcast we have available, but just 
I wanted to throw that out for her to listen to. I just kind of assumed that uh, it was number two, Eric Church. Mm -hmm. Couldn't remember if he had a song or not that mentioned FFA, but that does not necessarily mean he was in it or anything. Yeah. Okay. One last, I lied. One last trivia question. Okay. In what year was a signature blue and gold jackets adopted as organization's official draft? I just read this. 37? No, close. 1933. I was so close. So the blue and gold is national blue and corn gold mm-hmm. for those those are our official colors for the organization but i wanted to throw that out there since it's alumni wear your jacket day i was so close man i'm mad about that one <laughs> i had just looked at that earlier too do you know if your alumni does anything uh, for national ffa week so i know they i don't know if they do it for national ffa week or if they just it happens to coincide coincide okay. but they usually do like a a soup a soup dinner like a kind of thing for, yeah okay. a soup feed during a basketball game okay so obviously it was probably earlier in february but they do that and then which is usually like chili and chicken noodle soup and then they have like bars and stuff that okay. ffa members have made and like that just is to raise money for like scholarships that they give out and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that yep and then i think they do another one like earlier during volleyball season okay but yeah so usually you know that's earlier in this mm-hmm. season. I don't really remember them doing anything like during FFA week because usually that was just for like FFA members, mm-hmm. but they were always helping us with everything anyway. Yeah. So I know Sutton does an event. I think they call it the winter extravaganza right now. I think it's in February, but I could be wrong. It might be in March. But it's our dessert auction, so members and alumni will bring in desserts. It's usually cake or pies, uh, also cheesecakes. That was a big hit. But then we would raffle those off, and the proceeds would go back to the chapter for scholarships. See, we would do like a pie auction too, mm-hmm. but that was usually during our um, like big like ceremony, where, like, like the we, spring ceremony. Yeah, where we give okay. out like everyone's degrees and awards that they won, okay. and the alumni would come and we'd host like a meal for everyone that had like their parents could come and then we usually invited all the faculty and stuff at the school and they would host a pie auction and then that money would go toward the alumni like paying for the mm-hmm. meal and stuff so i know a lot oh sorry you're good i know a lot of people do um labor auctions too mm-hmm. we did labor auctions during our spring spring banquet which we also did the dessert but then it got too long it would be ending at the night at like 10 30 11 yeah. and it was a school night so no one wanted to stay up that late but then since we split up the dessert auction as a different event altogether, we continued to do our labor auction during our spring event which was uh just for the people that are listening and may not understand what a labor auction is, the members in the FFA chapter will make a list of like what they can do. Um, I know a lot of people in my hometown were like, I'm good at babysitting, I can cook and I can clean or, you know, do yard work. So like maintenance, mowing, stuff yeah. like that. And then people in the community and alumni would bid for their labor. And I think you had to do a minimum of like, oh, was it like 10 hours or something? I was going to say, we, like before I was in FFA when mm-hmm. my my older brother was they had a labor auction and it was one day's work okay that might be it unless like you put your name in multiple times yep and then the people in the audience would then bid up who they wanted to have as their chosen laborer and then the money would go back to the chapter and the people would have someone to help with labor and then that would if you got someone through the labor auction you would more likely come back 
the year after for another. And that would expand our either a alumni or just, you know, the supporters for our local chapter. Yeah. And I mean, that was a really good way for people to get out in the community because mm-hmm. at the same time, you would obviously go out and talk with your neighbors or somebody to be like, hey, we're having a labor auction. Yep. If you want me to come work for you for eight hours or for 10 yeah. hours or whatever, come and you can bid on me and then that money will go to the alumni. You won't be paying me directly. You'll be paying the alumni mm-hmm. and then I'll come and work. Yep. I know a lot of people like at our school, they did like farm labor oh, or yeah. like field help or something like that or, you know, babysitting mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And obviously no one was forced to do it. But if you put your name in, you were obviously expected to go work for that person yep. or whatever that person wanted you to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they were like, don't even bother. Like I was just wanting to donate. Yeah. A lot of that, if they were like, okay, I don't really need your help. I just wanted to make a donation and be a supporter and whatnot. They typically bought, I know in our case, more than one person. Yeah. And then especially like with the pie auction and because we would also sell like cakes and stuff. Mm-hmm. They would there was always like two pies that people would get into like a bidding war oh, over. Yeah. And it was so cool because it's like this pie is five hundred dollars now mm-hmm. because people just want to donate money. Yeah. I know one of our top one was the German cake. German silk cake. Yeah. Or no. Sorry. No, that was that's not even it. No. <laughs> A, a German uh, German chocolate cake. Yes, German chocolate cake was this, like one it's of... It's my mom's favorite cake. I don't know why I could not think of it. I could only think of German hot potato salad because that's a dish we have. And I'm like, that is totally wrong because that's potatoes and whatnot. <laughs> well, I kept thinking of the pie, like the chocolate yeah. cream silky pie because mm-hmm. that was always like our top seller, you know, the yeah. $500 pie. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was thinking of that instead of German chocolate cake. Yeah. But also like the cheesecakes were a very big hit because they were homemade. Yeah. They weren't the ones that you'd buy in a box or frozen and whatnot. And so those would go for like 400 to $600. And I'm like, I could make something because it was typically like a plain one or like if it had toppings, it was like uh, chocolate and Reese's cups or whatever, or even just fruit. I'm like, I could make that for like $20 at home. But these people are spending $500 on a cheesecake. I was, it amazed me every time. I always think it's so cool though because then then you know that like that money is going to go to someone's scholarship yep. so i mean that's that's why people donated yeah they were like well this money's going to go in a good place anyway kind yes. of thing but but we always had a great turnout i think we we could have probably pulled off having two dessert auctions a year but we just did one because we had a great turnout because we had so much support with our community see when i like i said before most of our like stuff was during the summer yeah which really helped because then we weren't competing with like other clubs Oh, yeah. Um, Because that was like a big thing, too. It was like we had FBLA, we had FCCLA, we had um, like all the other clubs like math club, Spanish club, everything like that. And so by the end of the year, you know, everyone's like kind of tired of fundraisers. Uh Everyone's kind of burnt out. Even parents are like, listen. (laughs) Well, even the members are, too. Yeah. And so like most of our stuff was during the summer. For a community project, we would serve either ice cream or, or we would rotate every other year and do ice cream or like a hamburger kind of feed with the Hardington FFA chapter. Okay. And so like one day we would do ice cream and the next night they would do hamburger during fair week. So we both were able to, you know, get our community service hours in, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
And then um, Laurel actually has like a, it's usually a week long, but it mostly focuses on Friday, Saturday, Sunday of ag days. And so like the alumni had silent auction, a like quarter pig, and then obviously there was four quarters and then a quarter beef. And like that money would go to the alumni. And then the FFA chapter, when I was there, we did a dunk tank. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> like, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's literally like one of those carnival things where you throw a ball at a target and it drops the person into a pool mm-hmm, of water. Yep. Um, But we would do that. So like an FFA member was the officers and we would get in there. It was only like a single person dunk tank. So we would take turns going in and out. But yeah, which was always fun because like kids love throwing balls and watching people fall into water. So yeah. I know we did that with, we didn't do the officers, but we had a couple people uh, from our alumni that volunteered and also people from the community because they just wanted to be able to help. They might not have been able to give like a donation or something. And that was their, it was their time that they were willing to donate. But we also did a dodgeball tournament a few of our summers. Sutton has a festival called Dugout Days. And so we would do it during that because it was it was kind of like a carnival meets three to four day events of just community stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what Laurel Ag Days yeah. was too. And so we would do that. Uh, the dog ball, dodgeball tournament was always a huge turnout because even in high school, everyone loves to play dodgeball. In PE, when you said, yeah. oh, we're playing dodgeball, everyone would scream. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, put that equate, you know, you know, officer team versus alumni. It was just a great, you know, way to spend your afternoon during the summer. Yeah, I think one year, I think it was after we left, I know for sure, but I think they had hosted like a street dance too. Okay. During ag days. And it was for like high school students. Mm-hmm. And so, and then like the alumni were chaperones, if you will, like making sure the streets were closed off and everyone was being safe. But yeah, we did quite a bit during the summer compared to the school year, which I thought made it a lot easier. Um, it did make it a little bit more difficult on some aspects though, because a lot of people had jobs over the summer or they were babysitting or they just were on vacation or something. So it was kind of limited to a very specific number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, is to be expected, but... Um, have we talked about the pins that we have on our corduroy jackets? I don't think so. Okay. Well, do you want to talk about what you have on yours? Yeah, sure. So you can always go... I'm assuming we're going to put the photo on our Instagram. Yep. So if you want to go look at it, you can. For the FFA jacket, in order for it to be official, you can have no more than three awards on your jacket, not necessarily counting your state or... Yeah, American. your state yep. or no, national degrees. American. American yep. degree. Um, so on mine, I have my chapter degree, and then I also have my vice president pen. Also on my jacket, it has my name embroidered, and then my two offices that I had held. I had held the historian, and then I was also the vice president. So I was vice president last, and it's the higher office, so I have that pin on there. You can only have one pin for your office. So like I cannot have the historian pin on my jacket if I have my vice president pin. And usually... You you leave the higher office pin on your jacket. So let's say you were first a, first you were like a secretary and then you were a uh, sentinel, which usually you wouldn't be. But mm-hmm. for this example, you would usually leave the secretary pin 
com- over your um, Sentinel pin. Um, and then I have my state degree chain with its state degree emblem on it. I never got my American degree. I My school was kind of in transition with advisors. And so my SAE got messed up and I was lucky enough to get my chapter or my okay. state degree, but I didn't want to go through the work of straightening everything out. And then the American degree is also a lot of work in general with interviews, scholarship, or not scholarships, but interviews and the SAE in general, keeping records up and everything. And I was away at college. And so I just, it kind of left my mind. I didn't even think about it until it was too late. But yeah, what, what about yours, Whitney? So I have my courtesy corpse pin, um, which is a thing you can go through uh, FFA. It's more or less trying to volunteer your time at events. I also have my green hand historian pin, which was the highest office I held, which is uh, the green hand officers are below your chapter officers. I didn't really have a great relationship with my advisor during high school, so I didn't put forth very much effort to apply for a chapter officer officer, but that's a whole nother story. And then I also have my American degree lapel on under my name. I also have my state degree chain. And then also on my chain is my national FA degree little keychain hook on to that. But like you said, you can't have more than three pins on the front. I don't know. I think that's, yeah, that's all I have on my jacket. I know you have your positions embroidered embroidered on your front. And I know that was an option for like our chapter officers, but I don't think a lot of them did. I know one of our chapter officers went on to be a Nebraska FFA vice president. So she got a new jacket for that with that and everything with embroidered. I know a lot of chapters that don't usually put their, their position on their jacket just because it does take up some mm-hmm. space. And especially if you're in for all four years and you hold an office all four years, that gets to be a lot, especially if you decide to remove it and then re-embroider over that yeah. spot. It can kind of wear out your jacket. I did. I wasn't expecting to go and get a state position. I It wasn't something that I was really looking into, okay. even from, you know, even as I got closer to the my senior year and stuff. It, I mean, if you look at my jacket, it does look a little bit crowded be- with the two on it, but we didn't really wear official dress very much other than competition. So yep. an official dress is our white colored shirt underneath with our our ascot or scarf yep either ascot. whatever you want to call it and yep. then um our black skirt yep, or yep. with black nylon nylon or you or could wear black slacks black slacks which i opted to do once they finally implemented that into the official dress yeah and then closed toe either i call them kitten heels but i don't know what the official term is just a small heel less than i believe one inch but i could be wrong or flats and they had to be closed toe Mm -hmm. professional looking um and then men wore their the same up top basically with the exception of a tie and usually it had to either be a navy blue tie or an official ffa tie which was either um most of them were like were obviously navy blue with gold stripes or with the ffa emblem or Mm -hmm. ffa insignia something on it and then they had black sat black slacks and dress shoes black dress shoes and then if you were wearing a belt it had to match it had to be black had to be black and then black socks also yep 
Yep. Very professional looking. But uh, I know when we went to like state to state convention and national convention, everyone would be like, oh, it's a sea of blue because yeah. everyone's wearing their blue corduroy jackets. And just a fun fact, it takes about 1.6 yards of corduroy to create one FFA jacket. And then it has a, it doesn't have any snaps on it. It has a zipper, which needs to be fully zipped up and the tallywhacker needs to be tucked. Yep. And for livestock judging, like if we were required to have like official dress, usually the exception was nice jeans, no holes, no rips. And you could wear boots, but they had to be dark with preferably not like pointed. Usually most people just wore the square toe mm-hmm. or rounded toe. Yep. And obviously not a too high of a heel and a belt that matched your boots. Some people wore black boots. Most people had um, darker brown, which most boots usually are darker. Yeah. They're not usually a light tan, but... I know meats judging was also an exception. I didn't have to wear official dress at all. Yeah. We just wore our jeans, closed-toed shoes, and since most of the time it was in a walk-in freezer, we could wear, if we had an FFA, like zip up or pull over or something just to show who you are and where you're from or a simple chapter t-shirt. And if you wore a coat, it ha- you had to have like a label or yep. like a this is who I am kind of uh-huh. sticker, which in most cases at like state and stuff, they had a sticker for you anyway. But yep. I didn't really do, I didn't do meets for FFA. I did it for 4-H. Okay. But we had, we didn't really have our advisor teach us. My high school advisor was married to someone who was in the U.S program for meets. And so he came and taught my older sister and the people of that team. And so then my sister also uh, showed me how to meet Judge and also my younger sister. And so we learned from her and then her notes that she took from that person who was having, you know, that firsthand experience at the UNL meets division. That would have been nice. Again, we were in between, I had three advisors in four years. It was rough on the chapter in general, but we didn't get many people to help us. We had, like, obviously we would go and study ourselves and then we had our first advisor actually or the first advisor of mine um her boyfriend at the time but now husband um he was actually really interested in politics but he taught us parliamentary procedure and that's how like our team really got our basics in it okay yeah we we did really good in practices and then we kind of got stage fright when it came down to the competitions. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if we could have went beyond that stage fright, we would have done really good because he was a very good teacher. And I think that's a good way to learn parliamentary procedures from someone who's doing that, you know, in their day-to-day life, either office work or if they are a politician, just having that, you know, person instead of learning it from, you know, a book or yeah. videos, having that person teach you and critique you while you're going through uh, procedures. Well, I know this year, 2021-2022, the FFA chapter in Laurel has done a really good job in getting help from like people in the community. They had a lot of help for livestock judging. Like they're going to state they placed, I believe, number one wow. at districts. Like they have done really well. Um, the f- the I think the team is four people, right? And then two backup. The four people, it was first, second, third, and I think fifth. Like they all placed wow. top 10. And I'm like, wow. Um, but they had a lot of help from people in the community like they were reaching out to people that raise cattle and raise swine and sheep and everybody and then they were even like contacted a lot of like the local agronomists Mm -hmm. in the area so 
they were doing good in agronomy and even I think meat judging they had someone come in and help them so I'm super glad that they've you know built the program out up to where it is right now I know our chapter also did uh, they did all of that but they also did Florida culture so. we they they went to the greenhouse in Laurel actually and mm-hmm. got help there too that's nice but they're going to state for a lot of things so well that's pretty impressive and that's what you love to look back on as an alumni member yeah. seeing your chapter thrive well and that was one thing too like we went I was on a team that went to the state livestock judging too let me tell you that's an early morning at state oh yeah Ooh, so early that was I believe my senior year and I had been doing livestock judging since I was a freshman and just seeing my team get better throughout the years was really cool. And then going and competing at state and getting that experience. And it did help that um, quite a few of us were in 4-H. And so, you know, we got livestock judging experience through that too. But it was just really cool to see the team grow. And even now, like those people that are going to state livestock judging are going to be continuing to teach the people in classes uh like sophomores and stuff too on proper livestock judging evaluations and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be it for this week's podcast. Tune in not next week, but the following week for Whitney and I talking about our experience in 4-H because February was National 4-H month. Um, It won't be next week because we are actually on spring break and midterm break, or you can listen to previous episodes on Anchor or Spotify at Ag Knowledge. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzels, Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as part of Radio Production Workshop at Wayne State College. Listen to KWSC 91.9 The Cat on the TuneIn app. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Surf Day by Marcos H. Blanos, found on freemusicarchives.org. The song was edited for the use of this podcast.